0: Dinosaurs and man, two species separated by 65 million years of evolution, have just been suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea what to expect?
1: Welcome back to the Neo Jurassic Podcast. My name is Bry, and I am genuinely thrilled that you happened to join me today. As this episode intro is being recorded, the paleontological accuracy, or lack thereof, in the Jurassic franchise is once again the subject of many arguments across Twitter. You know, as I'm sure many of you can relate, it's not been easy being a fan of the Jurassic franchise and also having an interest in the realities of Mesozoic life. It's an unenviable position to find oneself in, particularly in the hellscape that is Twitter. I started this project in part with the perhaps deeply naive aspiration of gradually reconciling these two seemingly conflicting positions and their respective communities. Truth be told, I don't think I would have decided to start this podcast were it not for the vague hints from Colin Trevorrow that Jurassic would be putting forth more effort towards paleontological accuracy in Dominion and beyond. Lately, however, I've been a little concerned I may have overestimated the overlap between Jurassic fans and paleo people interested in both the scientific and storytelling possibilities of a Neo-Jurassic world. So, this week we're going to be shaking up the format a bit with a special hour-long conversation with game developer, zoologist, and paleo illustrator Tom Parker. Last year, Tom illustrated an incredible series of scientifically plausible reinterpretations of the Jurassic film's star animals. Every creature depicted in the series, from the first film all the way to Battle of Big Rock, was given a beautiful makeover that better reflects the latest in scientific accuracy. And so late last year, when I first began this Neo-Jurassic project, I knew I had to reach out to Tom for a chat. In addition to his illustration work, Tom is perhaps best known as the lead designer of the Hell Creek Dinosaur Survival Simulator game, Saurian. The game has become a favorite of many paleo-enthusiast gamers and continues to evolve and grow as time goes on. We're just going to go ahead and dive into our conversation, discussing Tom's dual degrees in both computer science as well as zoology, and how his experience in both of these fields have led to one of the most impressive dinosaur games out there today.
0: Um, I actually started out doing a, uh, degree in computer science. Um, but I decided somewhere along the path, uh, that that's not what I was into. Uh, and I would prefer to do zoology. Um, that's always been my main passion, I guess. Uh, mm. so I probably should have gone for, for that from the start, but, uh, you know how things go, um. So yeah, I actually I, yeah I actually have two degrees because I ended up finishing computer science anyway. Um, because so I, yeah, I actually have degrees in computer science and in zoology. So I went from one to the other.
1: That's um, so you you initially did computer science and then you went back and got a second degree in zoology. Yep, that's right. Did you have any particular focus within the field of zoology, or was it just a generalized zoology degree?
0: Uh, so yeah, it was. My degree is just a generalized zoology degree, although uh, my research focus—I think you could definitely argue—was in ornithology. Uh huh. Although I did do stuff on paleo and stuff on crocs as well.
1: So archosaur, <laughs> archosaur <laughs> yeah. oriented.
0: Definitely, definitely an archosaur focus.
1: Yeah, that would probably be mine too. I'm I am spectacularly in love and obsessed with parrots. Um, I mean, and birds in general, but Australia, I, which I've never been to, unfortunately, of course, is populated with some of the most incredible birds on earth. Um, I'm very very envious of you living there.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, parrots are quite mundane for me obviously they're they're beautiful but uh yeah i, right. I see them often enough that
1: <laughs> yeah they
0: they're, I, I, they're very cool though
1: oh, i love them so much I, I i will admit i'm more of like a new world parrot guy i'm really into mm-hmm. macaws they're my favorite but um the diversity in australia is just incredible
0: yeah huge diversity um and yeah they're very smart which is what i uh, am most drawn to about parrots i think
1: yeah i'm 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 very interested in animal cognition generally, and the the idea that this uh, arboreal archosaur evolved an intelligence that's somewhat structured similar to her own and the social behavior and everything. I just find that so fascinating. i I I could ne- just can never get over parrots and how what that line of evolution. Could hypothetically look like moving forward, and what may have evolved along a similar path at some point, maybe in the Cretaceous, that hasn't uh, shown up in the fossil record. I'm just endlessly fascinated by that sort of idea.
0: Yeah, totally, and obviously, uh, we don't really have a good handle on how intelligent uh, stem birds were. Uh, there was probably a diversity, or almost certainly a diversity, but yeah. Right. Uh, it's something that is hard to tell from fossils alone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, as we're going down this path of animal cognition, I feel like people are discovering that different, I mean, again, I'm a layman, so I don't have, you know, a, a depth of, of understanding of, of, you know, neurology. But what I have learned, if I'm not mistaken, is that different parts of the brain have evolved. Uh, similar functions as our neocortex, I believe, like as it is in our brain, the neocortex takes on the the, the dominant part of, of cognition in a lot of ways. Um, that may not be correct. I don't know. You may know better than I.
0: I, I believe that's basically correct.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I,
0: I think a lot about that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Sorian is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful project. I've been completely entranced with it for the years that I've been aware of it. I'm not a big video game person, and the video games that I do play are pretty much limited to console-type games. So unfortunately, I've never had the opportunity to play Sorian, but I have spent a lot of time uh, admiring the... Um, overall design and uh devotion to accuracy it's a beautiful thing
0: ah well thank you yeah uh that's sort of my main role on the project is uh as the sort of science supervisor um but of course i also do other stuff i've been animating a lot lately
1: uh like animating in-game animations and such yes cool uh, yeah. Um, how did the Saurian project get started exactly?
0: Um so sort of a while ago, years ago, um, basically there's a few different people on different parts of the internet who uh came up with a very similar idea sort of in tandem and we all kind of congregated together and it uh, morphed into one project. Um space that's a, the basic story of it, yeah. Um uh, a guy by the name of Nick Turinetti really, uh, really got us started in like getting everyone together and being like, you know, Hey, if we all worked together, we could probably make this project happen.
1: How long ago was that?
0: Uh, uh, the early 2010s. Uh, I think that was like 2013. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Um, and you have the Saurian sort of like field guide book that's being released imminently, correct?
0: That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we initially released that ourselves. We did a self-published run. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that has since been picked up by Titan Books, uh, which is a public, publisher in the UK. Um, and they are putting out a hard copy version, which is, uh, yeah, it's up for pre-order on Amazon.
1: Um, so what form did the book ultimately take and what was the impetus to create such a thing?
0: Uh, so the idea initially was to create, uh, something for our Kickstarter backers. Um, we wanted to create another product for them that certain people could back for at higher levels than the Kickstarter. And we came up with the idea very early, uh, to do a book that was like both a science guide to the, the science behind the game and a art gallery for, uh, all the art that went into the game, the concept art
1: and you had a number of people um basically doing the creature design and illustration for all that right it wasn't just one singular vision in terms of the world of building that world correct
0: that's correct yeah it was multiple people it's uh most of the designs that ended up in the main game uh were done by our two designers uh, chris Mazna and rj palmer who are both very very talented artists um
1: extremely talented uh, yeah. if i may say so
0: yes uh, i believe so as well um uh some of the designs are, are very collaborative um but uh especially the the t-rex and the edmontosaurus and, and the triceratops are all very collaborative um but yeah most of the others uh, were sort of designed by chris and rj um
1: do you have a favorite critter in the game
0: yes i do um Uh, my favorite critter for a while has been the Ankylosaurus. Um, I,
1: I love, I, I, I love the black and orange, um, yeah. Coloration. It's beautiful. Very, very naturalistic, but striking. It's really rad.
0: Yeah, I I think so as well. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very keen on that design. I, I just love how, how it looks. I love how the concept art looks and how the model looks. Um,
1: was it at all inspired when I saw it i I it evoked images of of um like newts, you know, with the black and then the vibrant orange to indicate that they're not to be fucked with essentially. <laughs> that was kind of what I was reading into that black and orange sort of display,
0: okay, so that's interesting. um that concept, the idea that it would be uh, like super colorful, especially though, like we've got a really colorful tail club um, Yeah. as like a warning that it's a dangerous animal. That was intentional. Um, yeah. But our main references for designs uh, rather than newts were box turtles actually. Um, oh, which are a type of really cool, uh, colorful, interesting patterned turtle.
1: Oh, I love them. They're my favorite, at least North American turtle or tortoise, I would have to say.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a fair, fair point. Uh, fair choice for me. I'd have to go with, a uh, uh, alligator snapping turtles. So I think they're just uh, too cool. To, Ooh,
1: that's to another by. really good one. <laughs> I also, uh, wood turtles are also really up there for me, but I've never actually had much experience with wood turtles personally, but I grew up in, uh, like, uh, New Jersey. And I spent most of the, my time like wandering around in the woods and I would frequently come upon box turtles. And it was always, just a utter joy
0: oh yeah i bet um we always used to come across uh side necked turtles or like long necked uh side neck turtles uh, where i grew up uh-huh. um we said that often when it would rain they would come out onto the road when the, the road was wet uh uh-huh. so yeah more than a few times we would like stop and pick up uh, turtles off the side of the road to get them out of harm's way. And we'd just bring them uh, to the dam and just put them in the dam so that they, uh, uh they wouldn't get run. Yeah. Over. <laughs>
1: they're, they're lucky. They're so like the, the idea of a turtle, they're like the most benign of reptiles. I feel as far as like most people go, like people yeah. are terrified of snakes. They're frequently terrified of lizards. Um, but somehow turtles, they, they're like the universally, uh, decided to be cuddly buddies, which works out well for them. Cause they're often in peril in the road. In my experience.
0: <laughs> yes. I think that's true. I've noticed the same thing is that people love turtles, even people. Yeah. Who, uh, are freaked out by snakes and, and crocodiles and such. They still love turtles.
1: One of my favorite things, I mean, well, this is kind of sadistic on my part, but I do often like to watch videos of um, people disrespecting turtles and um, getting, uh, shall we say, nibbled on. It's it's a little perverse thing that I tend to enjoy from time to
0: time. (laughs) Well, at least they're getting punished.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So... I'm going to dive into the Jurassic section. Um, yeah. I'm curious what your relationship was with Jurassic when it first entered your life. And what does that relationship look like now at the tail end of 2020?
0: Um, so, uh, I've always loved it. Uh, I watched it when I was very, very young for the first time. Uh, not long after it first came out. Um, i've yeah the the first two movies I loved through my whole childhood um mm. and teenage them I always loved those films um, uh it's become a bit of a trend for people who are interested in paleontology online to sort of push back or fight against Jurassic Park or some people claim they hate it um Yes. But that that yes. I never really went to that I've always loved Jurassic Park um,
1: yeah if I may ask how old were you when you first uh, saw Jurassic park
0: uh probably I'm guessing but probably five or six
1: okay cool yeah uh I I I saw it for the first time when it came out in 93 um, I had been obsessed with dinosaurs and animals well before that but yeah. Oh my god! From that moment on, it was my everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that is uh, something for me too. Is a lot of people, on the other hand, say that they got into dinosaurs or paleontology from Jurassic Park, whereas I was already into dinosaurs and animals. Uh, and Jurassic Park, I saw because of that, rather than the other way around. Yeah.
1: Um, I it's one thing that I think about often is I think about all of the. I mean, because Jurassic at this part is like a brand, it's like a massive sprawling brand franchise. I feel like it's moving in the direction of Star Wars as time goes on, like people's nostalgic uh, emotion for that original movie and everything that followed just seemed to build. Um, And of course, at the same time, the paleo community increasingly derides the franchise for its many, many, many inaccuracies, but yes. i think it's interesting that one of our biggest cultural touchstones and one of our biggest franchises is Jurassic and for me that's important because it's really the only major franchise that is focused on animals and and science and science fiction in a way that is like deeply inherent to what the story and what the world is about um, and that's, I think, really, really important as we move into this era of uh, biodiversity collapse, extinction fest, uh, climate change catastrophe. I think there's a, a a power to this story of man continuously learning that it is not the shit that it thinks it is. It's really just part of a much larger picture and at one time we had organisms on this planet that rivaled us not only in intelligence in the case of the raptors but you know in in size and force like we have had the luxury of just like dominating this whole landscape since we've arrived it feels um and i think there's something beautiful about us being aggressively put in our place across movies and television series and video games i really enjoy it
0: (laughs) i have to agree with that i find that aspect of jurassic park to be very cathartic um uh another movie actually which does a similar thing which i find very cathartic is uh james cameron's avatar um and i'm with you on that yeah
1: i'm with you on that i i um i actually i well I saw Avatar in the theater like three or four times and I was completely overwhelmed with the whole experience um and then I saw it again not in 3d not in a hyper immersive movie theater and I was you know kind of annoyed by much of the dialogue and some tonal things yeah and I wasn't super into it for many years but um i've had the luxury of going to uh pandora the world of avatar at animal kingdom and disney world and i have i have to say that's like my favorite i'm a big theme park nerd i grew up in florida Uh um and the animal kingdom is my favorite place to go to period other than the american museum of natural history in new york um it, it, that that whole experience of like building an ecosystem and representing it in a theme park and tying all of these ideas and and like sort of metaphors for our situation with conservation and uh, ecological exploitation and destruction, um, it's just an incredible thing, and it has built such such a love in me for Avatar. Now, like I'm just absolutely crazy for it which i did not expect
0: <laughs> i mean yeah that that's good to hear uh i've yeah i've sort of always been an avatar defender i, I understand the problems it has um and i don't think it's like a like a, a great movie right uh but uh, i uh, the, yeah I, I think it's a good movie i think it's underrated
1: i think so too i think that again the internet backlash um of it being kind of like perceived as cool to shit on the avatar franchise i so i'm like yeah i think that's right i'm very invested in the animal slash paleo world but i'm also almost equally less so but almost equally into film and television um
0: oh, i'm all the way there with you dude
1: yeah so like i'm continuously being confronted with all of these very smug assholes um you know being real rude to avatar and um i think it's it's in some ways as you mentioned it's warranted but i i i think people are going to be really surprised when avatar coup 2 comes out and i think it's going to establish a certain amount of respect i i think moving forward
0: I mean, I hope so. We'll see. Um, It's hard to tell what's going to happen with
1: that movie. I hope so. So now your relationship with Jurassic, I imagine if it's anything similar to my own, and it sounds like it might be, you have a love for Jurassic, as I do. Um, Nostalgia is no doubt part of that. But for people that love animals and love stories about man being put in its place and people who love dinosaurs, I mean, Jurassic is huge it's it's it it's enormous um and I mean, as you
0: said uh i'm also just into good movies and the first Jurassic yeah. park is just a
1: a fucking a phenomenal real, movie.
0: it's hard to argue it's not a perfect movie
1: i i have yet to inc- to really i have a lot of friends that are film critics and film snobs almost all of them that I know are on board with Jurassic and they're generally well the first one of course.
0: Yeah. That's um, about the first one.
1: Yeah. Regrettably, I have a lot of issues with Jurassic Worlds. I mean a lot. And it's hard yeah. doing this project. Like it's very hard navigating I've been talking to a lot of paleontologists doing this project and so many of them have just so much loathing and fury <laughs> for <laughs> Jurassic. And I understand I, part of me has it too. Um, like just what they've done with the stegosaurs and the pterosaurs alone, like, yeah. you know, just like break my heart on a daily basis. But I I have a certain amount of optimism moving forward with the franchise i i know like publicly like they're they're trying to embrace the science more they're relying more on real animals rather than imagined animals and i know that's the direction that they're trying to go in. they're trying to embrace respect for the franchise and the animals how do you feel about where is and how it's where could go
0: yeah, so this is something I didn't mention before. You did ask um, what my relationship with Jurassic is like in 2020. Um, yeah. I, this is where I do have to say I don't think any of the sequels are good movies, uh, not one of them. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of nostalgia for The Lost World, and I think there are some things mm. it does well. Um, but after that, I, I per- personally I think each sequel – that has come along is worse than the last is my opinion. Um, Mm. uh, Um, It's it's, a feeling
1: shared by many.
0: Given that I, that's, I would, I want to have optimism for Dominion and going forward. um, But it's hard to, given Mm. that is what I think. Maybe uh, I'm slightly more optimistic than I was for Fallen Kingdom because uh, that short film, Battle at Big Big Rock they released was mm. was kind of okay. Um, mm. I, it, it was at least better than the the previous two Jurassic World movies. Um,
1: In some ways, I would agree. I actually love Fallen Kingdom. Oh yeah, I know some people <laughs> had that I, opinion I, I,
0: just because they love how just batshit it is. Um,
1: exactly. It's yeah. it's batshit, and it's really the only movie to really get into the lore of jurassic and also simultaneously push the story in some difficult and somewhat interesting directions you know prior to this everything was just uh trapped on an island gotta escape kind of vibe that's true and it's a little different and so i appreciate it I'm, i'm sure you've seen camp Cretaceous at this point no
0: i've seen a couple of episodes
1: oh really not all of it no okay so cam cretaceous i feel is vastly superior to any of the movies including battle at big rock um uh, as far as storytelling and character goes i think it's great and i also think it better understands jurassic than the movies ever did i think that's I mean, the biggest example yeah, I mean the biggest example for me and this is something that killed Jurassic World for me was the Jurassic Park theme is about the majesty and power and grace and and alienness of dinosaurs as much as it's mm-hmm. about the wonder of man's technological achievement to revive them and bring them back. It's like it's like religious hymn for science and and life on earth it's like a very powerful moving thing and the first time you're introduced to it is when you see a brachiosaurus or any dinosaur in this series for the first time and it's a beautiful reverent moment that like really secures what this whole story and world and theme is and then when jurassic world comes out that theme is used when a kid runs through a high-end hotel resort and flings open some windows to a shopping plaza with with water slides and like that's what the music is used for and at that point i realized that there is like a fundamental grave misunderstanding of what makes jurassic jurassic and that has been tangible throughout these movies, but in Camp Cretaceous, they reserve the theme for the moment where in the dinosaur maniac kid is zip lining across a herd of dinosaurs at sunset. And it was the first time that I felt like it really connected to, you know, the little dinosaur obsessed kid or Jurassic obsessed kid who is experiencing this like miracle of science and, and, and human hubris And I think that says for me anyway, that says a lot about the tone and, and perspective of the films and the show. And I think the show gets, gets it more.
0: Right. I guess I'll have to go back and and finish it. Uh, I have heard other people say similar things about it. I just, yeah, I watched the first couple of episodes and I, my opinion was just like, this is very obviously for children and not for me um and i just didn't want. It, it, it gets um,
1: better i have to say it gets better
0: like i i didn't think it was terrible uh or bad yeah. even it was fine it was just a fine show for children was my was the vibe i got um
1: it's definitely a show for children but i think it has more respect for its audience's intelligence than either of the films does
0: well, that's Whatever. good to know. I, I don't think that either of those films has very, very much respect for its audience, but uh, so it's a low bar, but sure.
1: <laughs> so, um, so that's more or less where you're at. And this is a feeling that's held by a lot of people. What do you think it is about Jurassic that, connected with you as a child like what was it that was most fascinating intriguing because throughout time there have been so many explorations of what dinosaurs could have been um but of course jurassic kind of dominates that whole landscape and doesn't allow anything else to come through so what 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 was it about it for you what do you think it was
0: so you kind of touched on this a minute ago, um, but something I think the first film does that all the sequels fail at even when they try to do it is the, the wonder, like that mm-hmm. nothing ever in the franchise or any other franchise has compared to like that first scene with the Brachiosaurus from the first movie. Um, yeah. That hasn't been able to re- been, be replicated again. And again, in the scene with the sick triceratops is just so brilliantly done the scene where they feed the Brachiosaurus later on, mm-hmm. um, the Gallimimus stampede. There's so many moments in that movie. Um, I don't know how much of it you can attribute to the acting. Like, yeah, the, Sam Neill especially is just brilliant in all those scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But th- there's th- just this sense of, like, awe and wonder at the natural world. Which is never replicated again, I don't think.
1: I don't think so. Yeah. Outside of like a David Attenborough, ironically enough, a David Attenborough yeah. documentary, you just don't access that reverence and respect and wonder anywhere else, I don't right, think.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's the vibe you get. Um, yeah. Like in the. The Gallimimus scene where Grant is like watching the herd and he's like, Oh, look at them like a flock of birds evading a predator. That's got massive like Attenborough documentary vibes. Um mm-hmm. and you just don't you don't get that again. There's a bit of it in the Lost World. The Lost World tries. It doesn't quite get there. It tries. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean it's it's they have like the Bacher uh analogue character. Um, you know, trying to give out little tidbits of information. And again, for me, I'm, I'm really interested in animal cognition and, um, uh, animal intelligence. And I feel like the lost world, I mean, the novel, the lost world I love and the film I also love, um, even though it's a completely different thing from the novel, but the novel at least was so focused on animal behavior.
0: It was, yeah.
1: Um, and I very much like the novel as
0: well.
1: Oh, I love the novel. And like again, I'm I'm again because of my interests. Um, the idea of bringing back an extinct animal that, for the purposes of the story, has an intelligence that is more or less comparable to you know uh, to us and we are left with this organism we don't know or understand anything about that could have very well been the most dominant like uh, uh uh animal line had it not been for the extinction of at the end of the cretaceous um i think that's fascinating and i think that what the movies have all done fairly well is established that across all of six of these movies it is a story about man dealing with the fact that they brought back this animal with a very high intelligence that is aggressive and misunderstood and abused to some extent um and finding a, a way to coexist with each other and sort of respect one another across the films i think that is one of the most successful elements of the movies for me personally
0: yes i think that's present uh very much in the books um the first two i mean the the, first two films the novel
1: like the whole idea that the raptors were dependent on a uh uh, like a culture being passed down from prior generations like that as a kid that whole idea just fascinated me like what did that culture that live like it was passed down through generations of dromaeosaurs like what did that look like what did that and then we brought these things back and they're essentially just like violent confused caged chimps with no reference for their existence I just find that so cool and fascinating. And I wish the movies kind of leaned into that element a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I love that theme in in the novels. Uh, I think it's one of my favorite uh, themes in both of them, especially The Lost World. It's explored, explored a lot. Um,
1: yeah. And what was you, if I may ask, and it's somewhat of a tangent, you had a focus in ornithology in your studies?
0: Uh, yeah. Um, I was actually... Involved in a couple of studies um, uh, involving bird song, uh, were the main studies I was involved in, which is sort of related to to this bird cognition stuff. What was that? A bird song.
1: Oh, okay. Um, Any particular bird song?
0: Uh, It was Gray Fantails with a bird we were measuring, which is a small passerine from Australia.
1: So I would like to talk to you about your... I mean, again, we touched on it, how you were trying to bridge this diplomatic gap with uh, recontextualizing and bringing the dinosaurs of Jurassic Park to um, what that would look like if it were striving for scientific accuracy. Um, And I thought it was fucking wonderful, and I love it, and I'm so glad that it exists. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Um, How do you think or what would you like to see the franchise do moving forward to further embrace the reality of what these animals were?
0: Well, it's hard to do with the trajectory that they've, uh, headed on in the last two films. Right. Um, yeah, the, the bare minimum they would could do would be make the animals in the next one behave a bit more like animals. Um, yeah. One of the things I really, really dislike about uh, Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom is the animals are being treated more like Marvel superheroes than they are like mm-hmm. real animals. Especially the T Rex and the Velociraptors. Uh, yeah. I, I I really hate what they've done with the Velociraptors, with the 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 Raptor Squad, and now the, this blue character who, yeah, yeah, is just like a superhero who comes in to fight monsters on behalf of the humans. She's almost like a Pokemon. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I don't like that. I don't want it in, <laughs> in Jurassic Park. Um, that doesn't, it uh-huh. seems so opposite to, to what the original Jurassic Park was, was putting forward, whether the Velociraptors are built up almost like, um, like a, a villain from a slasher movie. Um, yeah, but, that yeah, but the animals in the first one are portrayed as animals, even if they look a bit off from what we knew them at the time, and especially what we know them to look like now. Um, mm-hmm. They still behave like animals, um, and that's I mentioned. The Lost World does some things right. That's one of the things The Lost World does really, really well uh, is is animals that behave like animals. Um, uh, I, and I would love to see them bring that back. That's like the bare minimum of what they could do in the next one to maybe turn yeah, around I my would've... opinions on the trajectory of the franchise a little bit. Um, there's, yeah, there's talk about them trying to work harder and making the animals look more accurate, which cool. I don't know how they to do it. I don't know if they're going to change the designs they already have, or if they're going to add new designs, which look better.
1: Um, what would you personally outside of them just acting like animals do? as someone that has a deep love for dinosaurs and animals and mesozoic life forms and movies and storytelling i feel like it's a great place to allow your imagination to run wild at the intersection of those two things so is what would you what is your fantasy moving forward of what this Jurassic franchise could be what would you want to see and experience in this
0: I mean yeah if it was just me in control uh, yeah I would love to see them just fully embrace accurate dinosaurs like it's ridiculous to think that them being accurate somehow Detracts from how like cool or interesting they are. I, mm-hmm. in my personal experience, the general public can't tell the difference. It's only mm-hmm. like the weird Jurassic Park nerds who get real uppity about it. Um, and in in my experience, like you show uh, someone an accurate T-Rex and the Jurassic Park T-Rex, like in the same colors, and that they they'll be like, "Aren't these the same thing?" Like, um. Yeah. So, yeah, if they have to do it with the law intact, uh, I'll be happy to see them just be like, uh, here's another genetic company, and they've gone to the effort to make them look like they actually looked, whereas InGen did not. That's fine. That's a simple explanation. They could have, mm-hmm. they had the opportunity to do that already in Jurassic World. Like, it's a new park with new cloned dinosaurs, right? Yeah. They could have just been like, hey, we're, we've gotten better at cloning, we don't have to fill so many gaps with other animals so now they look more like fossil animals like
1: i yeah i feel like that is just a symptom of the lack of understanding and and respect for what was what what that what the jurassic franchise is and could be i mean just the stegosaurus from what they've done from 1997 to 2015 is just like what the fuck
0: (laughs) yeah like (laughs) That, that's right. That's the other thing is some of the – many of the designs look worse than they do in the yeah. in the original. And I said this actually before the first Jurassic World came out and before we saw anything from it. Uh, I said, okay, I'll be fine if they don't do accurate dinosaurs if they try really hard to make them look like the ones from the original film. And they're, they're like, these are the animals in the original film. We try really hard to make them look like those. It's in the same kind of as that universe, whatever. But they didn't do that. They They, they, they look different. Like the the Triceratops looks like garbage compared to the one from the original movie. Yeah. Uh, Like, um, yeah, yeah. The Raptors look much worse. Uh, Yeah. Uh, If we if we, yeah, I'm quite partial to the designs in Jurassic Park Three. Actually, I think from an aesthetics standpoint, they look very good. Um, But if we say the Lost World is the peak in terms of looking like what we thought animals looked like at the time, which I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if they just tried to replicate those designs uh, from the first two movies or whatever, okay, fine, great. But they didn't do that. Um, and all the newer animals they've introduced look pretty bad for the most part. I like the Carnotaurus. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: yeah. Thank God the Carnotaurus managed to escape relatively Intact. I mean, the baryonics, the so called baryonics, uh, you know, it's so depressing. <laughs> They're like, I mean, I don't know who at Universal is like, hmm, you've got this really dynamic, unique-looking animal that doesn't look like anything else that's ever existed and is very alien and terrifying. Um, Let's actually make it look like a sore crocodile that got mutated in New York City sore and just sort of popped out out of the lava and started attacking Bryce Dallas Howard for no apparent reason. I mean, that is so depressing, for me. I again it just speaks to this lack of understanding and respect for I mean people are going to these movies not because they're big souped up genetic monsters but because they somewhat represent the mysteries and the 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 fear and beauty of extinct life forms that were real that did exist that no longer yeah. do. So
0: that's something that constantly comes up when people try to explore why people lack like dinosaurs And something that often gets brought up is that they're like these weird, like alien, monstery creatures that really existed. But if you make your dinosaurs unlike the ones that really existed, then you're losing that, that aspect. So I don't really understand what the point of that is. And yeah, you mentioned the baryonyx. (laughs) They, one of the, main features of baryonis is those big like hooked claws on its hands and they took those away yeah <laughs> that seems like yeah a, a, that's baffling to me that seems like ideal movie monster material but <laughs> whatever
1: totally bizarre and like yeah. its skull is so broad it's basically just got like a crocodile head just slapped on that- this scoot covered basic theropod body it's it's I mean, terrible. Again, this is the type of thing I want to avoid talking about on the podcast, but invariably it just keeps coming up. Um, I mean, the ter- I, I'm deeply, deeply in love with pterosaurs, especially at Zarkids, and the fact that the franchise just doubled down on these, like, leathery-winged uh, gremlins with osprey feet. Um, yeah. It, uh, it's just, it, it's just so pathetic.
0: <laughs> I've heard the argument... Uh, from pterosaur workers, that pterosaurs have kind of got a a worse go in pop culture than dinosaurs have, which
1: Absolutely. M- might be right. Like
0: their, their depiction has barely changed since like the 1900s. At least- It's at least crazy. The, yeah, at least dinosaurs got the the big update in the first Jurassic Park. Um, right. <laughs> the pterosaurs never really got that. They just remained these weird like leathery eagle-
1: creatures um Um, uh, are you a pterosaur fan
0: of like of course yeah
1: okay Uh, so um have have you seen the pitch trailer for when they were trying to revive the franchise in like 2011 or something and they did a quetzalcoatlus at the beach short film sort of thing no i have not seen that you've not seen that oh wow i've not heard of that okay um it is i mean it 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 isn't at all what a quetzalcoatlus is they basically have it as this like uh very fast flying um like marine predator that like plucks surfers out of the water and eats them um but just the fact that they're using a pterosaur that isn't picking people up by its feet and has some resemblance to what an actual animal would look like was just, and it's like my favorite prehistoric animal are the Xarquids, um, was very optimistic for me. What was that?
0: I said, that's a fair pick (laughs) regarding Xarquids.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I love them. um, and they even integrated in like they 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 were calling this project Jurassic World, and in the actual logo they had a very compelling image of a tyrannosaur, a velociraptor, a man, and a Quetzalcoatlus silhouette, all in the logo. And uh-huh. I just thought that was such a like a exciting. Um, uh, idea of like these like all of these um, apex predators sort of thrown together in one ecosystem and what that's going to look like is a really cool idea and they haven't gone in that direction at all yet so it's a bit of a bummer
0: yeah i suppose i'm watching this trailer now i just pulled oh it you up. are um, yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> there's certainly it's a cool trailer um yeah yeah it's cool oh here's that that logo you were talking about oh yeah oh look at that feathers. Um,
1: (laughs) yeah see so like you see that there was a direction and i don't know i mean so much of what's terrible about jurassic world was mandated by steven spielberg so yeah i mean what are you gonna do yeah right
0: like and that that's actually a good time to bring up is i i just don't think those two movies are very good movies if you replaced all the dinosaurs with fully accurate 2010s dinosaurs it wouldn't change the fact that they're bad movies yeah (laughs) yeah um so i don't think that's the main problem with the franchise at all i want to make that clear and i i think yeah i think we've been yeah yeah i don't want to shit on that too much um
1: yeah it's 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 very difficult and i and again i've been speaking primarily to people oriented in paleontology so they have very strong opinions and like it's it been difficult to get anyone to um not difficult but it's a challenge to get people to see that there could be potential in this franchise to do what we would like it to do and to be better about what it's trying to do um with the paleontology people but i have been talking to a lot of people that work with dinosaurs and everyone has the same thing to say over and over and over again so (laughs) but like also reaching out to people that don't work with dinosaurs and trying to recontextualize what de-extincted life forms in the anthropocene would be like has been also difficult because they don't really have the relationship with jurassic you know so they don't really see the connection there um and that is really what i want to get into i want to get into you know people that are working with animals and sciences of today to recontextualize and find like smart and interesting compelling storytelling opportunities in this whole world that this franchise has more or less ignored for action spectacle basically
0: yeah there's tons of untapped potential
1: there. Tons. So, like, that is kind of what my question is. Like, what would you like to see? I mean, I'm such a nerd. I'm obsessed with animals and the Jurassic franchise and dinosaurs and, a- and animal behavior and biotechnology, like genetically engineering more climate change resilient, like corals and plants and all these things. Like, we are on the cusp of a new world and there's so much cool stuff to think about and explore there. So, I mean, do you have any like little fantasies in your mind of, of the potential storytelling wise
0: of these animals and things? Yeah. So th- this is probably going to be an unsatisfying answer, uh, but yeah. my my general opinion uh, is they probably should have stopped making Jurassic Park movies after the second one. Um, yeah. And uh, I would rather see this explored from a different angle by a different franchise. I think it's my, mm-hmm. it's my opinion. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, do you, so, I mean, I think that's completely warranted because this franchise up until now has not, you know, given any indication that it deserves to hold these ideas and this world. But what would you think that that looks like? The one that does.
0: It's hard to say you could do something cool with the extinction using, uh, like, like recently extinct animals, you know, like stuff that people have actually talked about in the real world is like, rewilding certain areas and bringing back things like mammoths and other recently extinct animals thylacines and putting them back into modern environments to try and sort of correct some of the the changes that humanity made uh to the world i think that'd be a really interesting concept to explore um that i have i have
1: have questions for you related to that but i'm just continue
0: uh, yeah, the, uh, something not obviously not to that extreme, but similar happened recently. Here uh, is they're releasing Tasmanian devils uh, back on mainland Australia where they've been extinct for thousands of years um, to right. try and fill that uh, like a missing predator niche that we've erased as yeah. humans colonizers. Um, so, something like that would be cool. Like, yeah. If you put it's so, uh, if you like, picked a block of land in the U.S. and released like some mammoths and like in- genetically engineered American lions and cheetahs, and the seeing how and dire wolves and seeing how they interact with uh, with modern day humanity and how they brush up against human civilization would be really interesting to look at. I think.
1: Yeah. For sure. I mean, but also, like, we are dealing with so many ecological environmental crises at the moment, like, how much, like, what is the actual value of putting that investment into these Pleistocene animals and reintroducing them into small part of land, like, I, I often think about, and this is, again, coming from the perspective of someone with a layman's understanding of how science essentially works, but I think a lot about the atmosphere of the Jurassic and the Cretaceous and the ratio of oxygen to CO2, and I think about like how much carbon was in the atmosphere and how much of that was locked up in mesozoic plants and how much uh animals like sauropods were just like constantly in a state of deforesting whatever was in front of them and thinking about that carbon cycle and how like maybe there's an extinct species of plant that absorbs carbon at a crazy rate and locks into it. And then you build this ecosystem with, you know, humongous herbivores that are uh, absorbing all of this carbon via the trees that you can then reappropriate that animal to feed, you know, however large of a population, like that's the sort of like kooky, um, sci-fi application of de-extinction that i have been thinking about a lot as it pertains to like the crisis that we're in
0: yeah that's that's quite a cool idea um i do like that um and i think something like that is like what i'd like to see if we were we're doing something specifically with mesozoic animals um that would be yeah that that's cool uh
1: And so uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up was not related to dinosaurs, but was related to, um, I'm curious, you being a zoologist and one from Australia, um, I am from Florida, essentially, which you may or may not be aware is uh, that whole ecosystem in southern Florida is being changed, like, dramatically by the introduction of Uh, of reptiles from all over the world and there are all of these invasive species just flourishing uh throughout south florida and in hawaii there's so many species you have like jackson's chameleons and gold dust day geckos and green and black dart frogs just in like costco parking lots it's it's crazy and I am just, I'm curious what your relationship is. Um, I feel like all of our, the earth's ecosystems are so unstable right now and there's so much going extinct. And then there's this exchange of animals happening all over the world that never would have happened in any other way in the past. And I think it's just like an enormously fascinating opportunity for like speciation across all these different environments.
0: Yeah. Uh, well i think it's we've basically we've destroyed the native environments that were there right and we're replacing right. it with uh with our own manufactured environments uh wh- whether intentionally or not like uh the situation in australia is really very similar to florida uh in terms of how fucked the environment is but yeah it's harder to picture for americans because uh the animals that are destroying the ecosystem here are not super exotic animals like burmese pythons no. and nile crocodiles they're yeah. rabbits and foxes and deer um yeah uh, which have been, which have just completely uh destroyed the environment uh, and we also the the something that is shared by both australia and america is the the removal of apex predators right um Mm -hmm. in america wolves farmers are at constant war with wolves and have uh displaced them from so much of the country it's the same here with dingoes and obviously we wiped out thylacines already um yeah and yeah that that relates to what i was talking about before where they were reintroducing uh tasmanian devils to try and fill that gap that we've made um
1: yeah yeah and and then of course I, my understanding of the issue with the tasmanian devils is there's this like very pervasive like facial cancer gene that keeps popping up in these uh com- like yeah. populations of, yeah. of captive um
0: uh tasmanian yeah, in, the, devils. in the wild ones too it, it's it's a real real yeah. problem they're, they're they are in real danger of extinction because of that um very because recently, the the
1: genetic pool is like at a bottleneck, right? Like yeah, that just that is, gene yeah. is just um, gonna keep expressing.
0: Very recently, we've started to to find solutions. Um, I actually remember in one of my classes when I was still in my undergrad, uh, a one of our professors came in and just was super excited. And before the class even started, uh just had to tell us tell the whole class about this new uh solution that had been found potentially for to cure that uh that facial disease in tasmanian devils who's really over the moon about it
1: uh, yeah i've heard of that i've heard of progress being made in that department recently
0: uh yeah i'm not super on top of it uh but i, I know that yeah uh, there has been been breakthroughs in in recent years because yeah, they were in dire straits, uh, and and still aren't really quite out of it.
1: And the the Isle of Tasmania has like a pretty distinct, uh, it's like a, its own distinct biome from the rest of mainland Australia, right? Like you couldn't necessarily uh, like transplant that ecosystem to the mainland anywhere, could you really?
0: No, not really. Tasmania is really interesting. Actually, it's a uh, ecosystem is sort of a relic of what we call the, the Antarctic flora, which is this uh, big, like, used to be, like, world, like, around the whole world ecosystem that covered, like, Antarctica, obviously, Tasmania, New Zealand, uh, parts of South America. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, New Zealand and Tasmania both uh, are sort of relics of that that ancient flora uh, that used to exist all across the Southern Hemisphere.
1: What remains and, of Gondwana at that? point? Yeah,
0: that that that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, like, there's some very ancient plant species in Tasmania. Uh, there's some some early cypress relatives that are like right near the base of, of that group um, that still live there. Uh, some lots of podocarps, um, which are very very ancient.
1: Mm-hmm. I have a few very tiny podocarps growing in little trays in my. Bathroom next to the show. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Um, so let me ask you the next question, which is if you could introduce any species into the Jurassic franchise, what would it be?
0: Oh, that's an interesting one. What would I like to. So there's sort of. I've got different answers based on what I want to get out of it, right? Um, yeah. If I if I'm trying to make the biggest impact on the public science-wise, uh, something like Micro Raptor would be cool to see. Mm. Um, I th- yeah, I think that'd be really obviously an accurate-looking one. Um, yeah. If I'm picking an animal, just an animal that I like for like the cool factor, um, I'd love to see a Mega raptor in jurassic park that would make a very mm. cool uh a villain i think
1: yeah kind of close to what the indoraptor ended up being sort of really a,
0: a little of. bit yeah, yeah. The, it's, except yeah the hands are more death yeah. book and less uh weird creepy human hands
1: yeah and do you, I mean, I'm sure you fantasized about having a Mesozoic pet as well at some <laughs> point as a, as a, as a, as a young person that loved Jurassic and loves animals, uh, undoubtedly you've harbored fantasies of like some type of Sotokasaur or something cute, little dinosaurian buddy. Um, what would your ideal Mesozoic pet be?
0: Um, I would really like a, a mid-sized dromaeosaur. I think, um, I don't like it when you say that laymen often think like that's, that sounds dangerous, but I don't think it would really yeah. be particularly dangerous. I'm thinking something like a uh, no. TR new Raptor type, sort of thing. Um, would be really what, cool. Which species? Uh, I said TR new Raptor. Um, oh,
1: I'm unfamiliar with that one. Tell me about it.
0: Uh So it's a velociraptor sized. Um, Dromaeosaur from uh lianing which has like brilliant feather preservation on it um mm-hmm. and we've got so it's yeah i think it's cool because it's like velociraptor sized but it has like massive wing feathers uh and tail feathers and and stuff and so it's like a a cool big bird it's like i'm i'm really really into uh, ratites uh which for mm-hmm. bur- for The listeners are like uh cassowaries, emus, ostriches, yeah, um, yeah, and so something similar to that would be cool. Like, I, I feel like having a mid sized dromeosaur as a pet would be like having an emu and an eagle and a dog combined, and those sort are like
1: put together, yeah,
0: yeah, my favorite animals. I think that would be pretty, pretty cool. <laughs>
1: mm again this is sort of touching upon what you had said earlier is you'd be more interested in seeing another franchise uh or another form of media explore these ideas and is that specific to de-extinction like you're interested in seeing like these 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 aspects of extinct life in the frame of uh, being de-extincted and reintroduced into this world is that your perspective still
0: I would love to see that. Um, I'd also love to see, uh, a franchise that just where you go back and see like a fully recreated, uh, Mesozoic ecosystem. So mm. I- I'm thinking like, um, uh, are you familiar with the short story, A uh, Sound of Thunder? Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I- I'm thinking, yeah, something in that sort of territory. Um, there's another short story called uh, a gun for a dinosaur, which is similar. Um, I think something like that Who wrote that very... one? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Let me look at that. Um, I'm a dinosaur. Uh... Do you think
1: that the... Do you think that dinosaur stories without humans to sort of establish a sense of scale is as valuable as a story with humans? Do you think that sense of scale is necessary?
0: I think they can work. It would be really nice if one of the old dinosaur stories we've got got brought to us in uh, its original form. So people who are familiar with dinosaur media are aware that uh, The Land Before Time, Disney's Dinosaur, uh, and another show from the early 2010s, uh, like
1: Dinosaur, dinosaur revolution.
0: revolution? Yeah, I think that's what. Yeah. It All three of those shows of movies and shows started out as like completely no narration, no voices, just these like brutal looks at uh, like dinosaur life, sort of like uh, full feature length versions of the Ride of Spring sequence from Vantage. Yeah. Um, and Oh, the, that's the other one I was thinking of, the Walking with Dinosaurs movie um, was also mm-hmm. like that. All four of those projects along the way got butchered by producers somewhere higher up in the hierarchy who were like, no, the dinosaur needs to talk or nobody's going to want to see this. Uh, so I'm I'm still open to see a project that's like the original vision of those projects that never materialised, yeah. like a full-length version yeah. of The Ride of Spring
1: as we're wrapping up here what are you looking forward to in the future professionally and and anything else like what's happening with Sorian what's happening with the book what are you hoping to do next
0: yep so uh, the book is coming out soon as we discussed I'm excited to get that out um, uh, Sorian is still in the works as always is um, my role is, somewhat minimal um in that project now um I I do do a bit of animation um but uh with that sort of left to the devices of our developers um I am hoping to write more books uh is my my immediate plan yeah so I I do have a couple of books in the works um to follow up there I'd like to try and get the ball rolling to to keep the momentum up after the the Saurian one comes out. Cool.
1: Sweet. I can't wait to see the book. I'm very excited. I I I got the that um what are they? The you know the books I'm talking about. They're like the, that 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 Spanish duo that put out that Theropods book a couple oh, of years yeah, ago yep, and I'm, they just yep, put I'm out the sauropods book. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that was those have been my most recent uh paleo books and I've been loving them very well
0: the art in those is the art yeah
1: andre is like one of my one of the best working
0: paleo artists really
1: yeah i love his stuff so much so much yeah um well tom thank you so much for participating this i'm sorry it went a little longer than an hour but i'm i'm very 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 grateful for you sharing your time and thoughts
0: with me No, my pleasure. I'm always happy to talk about Jurassic Park.
1: Um. (laughs) Well, that's it for this episode of Neo Jurassic. I truly hope you've enjoyed it. If you did, please be sure to like, subscribe, tell your friends about it, leave an effusively positive review on Apple Podcasts, as I understand that helps. And uh, thank you so much for even just getting here. Until next time.